Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. San Antonio District Judge resigns after a federal corruption probe. A former San Antonio, Texas judge goes to federal prison after pleading guilty to accepting bribes in exchange for rigging cases in his court. Angus McGinty committed the ultimate judicial sin. Why did you do it? I did it because I was foolish. Listen to How to Bribe a Judge on RevolverPodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. John Anik and Kenny Florian. I fucking love them. I can't get enough of them. Let's hear that boss tonight. Big job there from Duffy and Frank Mir is hurt now. Down goes Duffy. Oh, Frank Mir does it again. Rock em, sock em, robots here. Oh, my goodness. I believe there are a couple of absolutely self-involved bullshit artists. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. All right, coast to coast, 7 a.m. Pacific time on the screws. It is Sunday, June 26th. Welcome in episode 354 of the Anik and Florian podcast presented in part by UFC Fight Pass. Ken Flo's on vacation. PFL 5's in the can. Where the fuck are you right now? <laughs> I am uh, I'm in South Carolina, man. I'm, I'm kind of hanging by the beach. That's exciting. Uh, I'll be here for the next few weeks. So, uh, yeah. Spending some time with the in-laws, I take it. Yes, yes. Your Wi-Fi is exceptional by the way, wherever <laughs> you are right now. So maybe you can move here. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> All right, we got a lot to get to today. Of course, we are just hours removed from UFC Fight Night, Sarukyan versus Gamrot, so we'll get into as many of those fights as possible. The great Sean Sheehan from Severe MMA is scheduled to join us here in about 10 minutes. Ray Longo, of course, Brian Petrie will have no fewer than nine selections head-to-head with Ken Flo for UFC 276 and uh, a lot of other things to get to intermittently as well. Um, but we will begin with PFL five very quickly, if I could, because what Stevie Ray did to Anthony Showtime Pettis a couple of nights ago, can flow like that'll make me never train again. And I was talking to Dominic Cruz about it last night. And we sort of agreed that in real time, there's no one better to explain that than you. But that being said, you know, Dom was sort of wondering aloud how he would have commentated that in real time, because mm-hmm. a jujitsu practitioner like yourself is still studying 
right? And still yeah. looking for maybe new things and nuances and chokes and things like that. A lot of us hadn't seen this before. And I guess the way it was explained to me was that it was almost like the opposite of what you're used to seeing. What can you tell us about this body lock that gave Anthony Showtime Pettis, at least in my opinion, no choice but to tap? Yeah, no, it's it's a brutal move. What's interesting about it, first of all, if you have your reg regular body triangle, like we see Damian Maya control people so well with that body triangle, when the foot is on the outside, it does put a lot of pressure on the spine, but there's no twisting action. Why? Because uh, the opponent can't really move and turn towards you. Um, this was a move that really happened because Anthony Pettis did this to himself. Now, uh, Stevie Ray, instead of having that leg to the outside of the hip, he had his foot and leg in between Anthony Pettis's legs. So when Anthony was able to turn, because he did turn all the way, his right leg was trapped and kind of hitting. It was it was being blocked by Stevie Ray's inner leg and foot. Right. Then Stevie Ray kind of wrapped up the top part uh, of the upper body of Anthony Pettis and basically just started cranking. And Anthony Pettis had no uh, ability to either go right or go left. And because Stevie Ray had control of the upper body and control of the hips with that body triangle, he was essentially twisting and torquing uh, the body of Anthony Pettis and and putting a lot of pressure on the rib. It looked like uh, Anthony Pettis had some ice on his ribs. He had injured his rib against Dustin Poirier back in the day and, sure. and, and an amazing UFC fight back in the day. So I, I guess they were concerned that maybe he popped his rib or anything like that, but it seemed like he was okay. But there's a tremendous amount of pressure specifically that goes on that spine that twists it, similar to a twister. Um, right. And it also could put a lot of pressure on the ribs because of the body lock. All right, well, Stevie Ray has sort of had a challenging career at times. There were some shining moments in the UFC, but then he was sort of unceremoniously let go. So you got to feel good for Stevie Ray. And I guess for Anthony Showtime Pettis, correct me if I'm wrong, but he had a first-round finish earlier this season, so he still preserves the number one seed in the playoffs. Is that the way it works? Yes, exactly. Okay. He was he was the only guy who got a first-round finish, so he had um, you know the, the maximum right. amount of points. So Okay. Yeah. One other thing I wanted to get to, there was a big heavyweight upset. The names are escaping me right now, but I did find it interesting that the victorious fighter is not in the playoffs. He needed a first-round right. knockout to advance, and as a plus-650 underdog, nearly got it. Yeah, exactly. Hennon Fajeda, um, you know, had a first round finish. He was leading the pack, giant six foot eight Brazilian guy. Lost to another Brazilian, Cleetson Abreu, uh, who fought tremendously well, had a uh, a win by decision that earned him three points, won again by decision, earning him three points. But because he didn't have a finish, the PFL tries to uh, basically give precedence um, to people who get finishes. Though the first. The, the first criteria, if it is tied up 6-6, six, six, right. what the PFL does, they go to head-to-head. -to -head. So whether you beat that person or not, if you were tied with that person, you beat right. them in the regular season, you will advance. The second criteria um, is the, the number of regular season fights that you had. Did you only have one fight or did you right. have two fights? They had two fights. The next set of criteria is the number of finishes, and that's what put Hen and Fajeda above, Got which it. gives people you know the, the impetus to, to try to go out there and finish fights. Yeah. All right, let us quickly get to UFC Fight Night and what a main event it was between Armand Sarukyan and Mataj Gamrod. And anyone who listens to this podcast knows that I don't train in jiu-jitsu, but that's like my favorite type of fight, right? Seeing grappling transitions like that. And obviously there was a lot to like on the feet as well. Um, but what were your thoughts on what was obviously a compelling, high-stakes, lightweight main event that ultimately goes to Mataj Gamrod 48-47 across the board? 
I, I knew that Sarukian was a, a very good fighter. Um, I, I wasn't sure that he was the most exciting fighter, and I've just been sleeping on him, to be honest. Um, I haven't watched as much as I would like, um, but Sarukian is an absolute beast. Gamrot, an absolute beast. That fight was tremendous. This is why, you know, the 155-pound division has been so good for so long. Um, and maybe I'm biased because I compete in that division. But, man, there is so much talent in that division. It's insane. And I couldn't agree with you more. The grappling transitions, the striking transitions, the speed of Armand Sarukian, and the determination and chin uh, of Gamrot was just unbelievable. What a fight. Brilliant grappling exchanges uh, as far as the wrestling goes. Um, some some nice exchanges uh, with jiu-jitsu. I would like to see Gamrot secure that back a little bit better. But yeah. other than that, I was highly entertained. Awesome main event. It went late. Um, and yeah, uh, I, I think it was worth it that, that the fight was that good. No, I was out here in Vegas even fighting it. And you were obviously a lot later than I was. So when this main event was announced, my initial thought was, they both deserve a headlining spot, but I'm a little bit surprised that it's happening against each other just because of their lack of name recognition, at least at this stage of their career. Certainly the Avid fans know acutely who these guys are, uh, but it all worked out, and it was a great showcase for both athletes, and Khabib Nurmagomedov certainly wasn't the only one to publicly acknowledge Sean Shelby and the matchmakers for putting these guys together. Um, as far as the scorecards are concerned, it was veteran judges, Diamato. Lee McCarthy all had it 48-47 with Mataj Gamrot winning rounds three, four, and five. I did give Armand Sarukyan rounds one and two. And, uh, you know, when we get to Sean Sheen, I'm sure he has some thoughts on that main event as well. But competitive fight and Gamrot calling for a fight with Justin Gaethje. I'm not sure if he'll get it, but he's getting a huge fight next at 55. There's no doubt. Uh, listen, I, I think both guys deserve a big uh, a, yeah. a big shot and, and a big opportunity coming off of this. Um, it was a fight that really was very close. I think it probably came down to round three. Uh, I had it scored the same way, uh, rounds one and two for Sarukian, three, four, and five for Gamrot. The way that he was coming back and making adjustments and starting to land with that right hand I think was significant. Um, and uh, again, just a tremendous fight. And, and I expect a, a big opportunity for both those guys. Wouldn't be surprised if both those guys get a shot at the belt and perhaps even become champions in the future. All right, Sean Sheehan in a few minutes here, but I want to ask you about Shavkat Rachmanov. You know, Danny Rube has been telling me for years that this dude's like the best in the world, and he just might be, man. Uh, Neil Magny's a hard guy to put away. Certainly, I don't have to tell this audience about his place in the UFC record books. What'd you make of the co-main event and yet another finish for the oncoming Shavkat Rachmanov? Is Shavkat one of Danny Rubenstein's, Rubenstein's guys? I think he is, or Damn. at least was at some point in time. Ruby. Go for it, man. That's awesome. He's killing yeah. it. Uh, li listen, he's tremendous. Um, I I've been high on this kid since the first time I saw him fight in the UFC. Um, he's finally starting to get that recognition. I think this was a good opportunity for him um, based on the fact that he was right before the main event and based on the fact that he fought a true veteran, a, a guy who was very difficult to take out in Neil Magny. Um, so it it's, it's about time he earned some respect. He's the guy that uh, everybody should be talking about, but people don't really know so much about him. But I think those days are, are long gone now if you're paying attention and saw yeah. that card from last night. Um, I also think he's going to be a guy that um, a lot of welterweights are going to try to avoid. That, that dude's unbelievable. 16 fights, 16 finishes. Oh, yeah. You, you, you do not see that every day. That That is uh, unbelievable.
And he's not forcing the finish, you know, lets it materialize. Right. That's a huge win for him. And he's not a, he's not this wild brawler. He's he's a technician um, and just looking sharp everywhere. And sometimes when a fighter doesn't speak English, you don't, at least Americans and English speaking fight fans don't necessarily get the total picture of who the guy is. But he seems to have an edge to him as well, which I like uh, a lot of big performances last night. Big win for Chris Curtis, the action man stuff in 20 takedowns. Carlos Alberg with a huge knockout. Umar Nurmagomedov doing nothing to, you know, take the shine off of his name. And Tiago Moises with a big submission as well. So uh, a lot of big things happening at UFC Fight Night. And we are now going to get into it a little bit more as we welcome on the host of the Severe MMA podcast on social media. You can find him at Severe MMA and also at Sean Sheehan BA. Sean Sheehan is with us. I'm not sure if this man has even slept, but it's great to see your face, my man. How are you? Not too bad. I got a couple of hours, you know. Sunday, Sunday is kind of a zombie day for me. I got, you know, the, the song "Zombie." I'm from Limerick, and the, the cranberries are from Limerick, so it's a good, yeah. it's an appropriate song to have for me on a Sunday. I'm always going around like a zombie, but I'm used to it now. Nearly a decade at it, so I'll sleep on Monday. I'll be fine. There you go. Well, our listeners and our viewers certainly enjoyed your last appearance, and um, I just think you're a tremendous resource and asset to the space. So I appreciate you carving out some time for us. Now, last week for Josh Emmett, Calvin Cater. I believe you actually found that work-life balance and you weren't watching the fights live. Is that correct? Yeah, it is correct. My uh, my niece had her 18th birthday, so we were all out at that, so I wasn't able to, to watch it. But I, I, I caught it when I came back. And it it was one of those rare fights, honestly, where, you know, I'm, I'm you know, my uh, co-host in the Severe MMA podcast calls me the, the president of the judges' union. I'm usually, yeah. I'm usually on their side. But I, I thought that fourth round was, was wrong, honestly. I, I thought... Uh, I thought Calvin Cater should have won that fourth round and won the fight. I think there'd be no problem. I think it was the second round. It's I've watched so many fights since then; it's hard to remember. But sure. there would be no problem getting three, you know, three rounds in that if it was the second round. But that fourth round, um, I, I just think Emmett landed a lot more and and won that one. So that was one of those rare, rare rounds where in the UFC we actually see it scored. In my opinion, any the, the wrong way. Now my opinion isn't sacrosanct or anything like that. We have seen a few fights, especially in the, in the PFL, Kenny. I know you've been there watching them, especially the Rory McDonald one. And a lot of that is because, you know, it's in Georgia or in other places, you know, during the pandemic as well, where the top judges aren't there. Right. And we always say it, when you have the top, top judges, you get top results. And unfortunately, I don't think this one was one of those. To be honest, I think the, the wrong guy won. But having said that, still a, a very, very close fight. And there's definitely a scorecard there that you can uh, you can give it to, to Emmett. But the fourth round on that one judge's card, I wouldn't necessarily agree with that. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you, man. Uh, did, did you check out the main event last night? And, and what did you think of the, the scorecards in that one? I did, yeah. I, I had it uh, 49-46 for Saryukin. Uh, I thought he won all of, all of the first four rounds, uh, but it was it was a very close fight. I'm glad the judges scored the first two rounds for Saryukin the way they did, because we talk a lot about uh, body work not being scored in mixed martial arts, and I think he did his best body work in those first two rounds, and it was scored that way, so that's great to see. The third round was the closest round. I think that could yeah. have gone either way. Um Gamrock got the takedown in that round and he did some good work. But Saryukin did some good work on the feet too. I thought he did enough. I, I you know, it's impact is how you score it. And for me, he did the more impact. But if you score that for Gamrock, I'm not arguing with you at all. The fifth round, then um, I think Gamrock won that. I don't think Saryukin landed much impact there at all. And I think Gamrock kind of won the general round itself. But another relatively close round. It was the fourth round, I think it came down to. Now, 
apart from one big shot, I think this was a very close round. But it was weird. If you, I don't know if you were listening to the commentary or not. There was like a big, uh, uh, was it an elbow or a spinning attack? And Saryukin knocked down Gamrot. The back fist, the, yeah. The commentary just didn't seem to see it at all. And I wonder, was it one of those things where in your, you're in the arena and you just don't see it? Like, that happens sometimes. We've all been at fights where someone gets knocked down. And like, oh, how did they get on the ground? And I wonder, was that one of those things? Because I reckon if the judges had seen that the way I saw it at home and the way a lot of people, I think, saw it at home as a big knockdown, as a hurtful shot, I think they would have probably scored that round for Saryukin. And I think he probably would have won the fight. But it, it was it was razor thin. I, I think, it, and they, you know, they showed the replay afterwards. And I think that shot did land. And it was a very hurtful shot. And, you know, you must score an impact. You must score an immediate impact. And I think that was enough to win that round, which was, I had close, but I think, sorry, you and I had just ahead. But even if you had Gamrat just ahead and that big shot lands, then sorry, you can win that round. If, if the judges don't see it, it doesn't exist. Exactly. <laughs> can I just ask you, Sean, who do you feel worse for, like Calvin Cater or Armand Sarukian, just because you scored both of those fights 4-1 for those guys, I believe? Um, who do you feel worse for, even though there doesn't seem to be any inherent robbery here in either fight? I feel worse for Cater because I feel that fourth round last week was wrong. Like, yeah. you, I, I can see an argument for even the fourth round, which I, the third and fourth round, I feel strongly that sorry, sorry, you can win them via the criteria. I can definitely see an argument in the third. And in that fourth, it just felt like one of those shots that everyone missed. So if you missed yeah. it, as how can you score it? Right. I look at sympathy for everyone. The problem is in MMA, right? We, we, usually we get results like this and people roar robbery or, you know, not necessarily this one, but, and they say, you know, they're, they're taking the money out of the person. They only get paid half and it's ruining their lives and everything. What if it's the other way around? You know, what, what if Saryukum won the fight in camera last? Then it'd be the same thing. You're taking money out of this guy. Right, it, right. That's the problem. It's, you know, yeah. the UFC maybe need to pay everyone the same amount of money. It doesn't matter who wins and loses. We all get the same amount of money and then we yeah. won't have that problem. I feel like yeah. we're trying to maybe solve one problem because of another one. But it's, yeah, yeah I definitely feel worse for Cater just because I think that was a badly scored fourth round there last night. A lot of very close rounds, but what a fight and unbelievable. You know, last time we spoke about, maybe we, we talked too much about judging. We don't under, uh, we don't enjoy the fights. That was one of those ones. Those that first round, the, the way Gamrat was able to defend those takedowns and just uh, you know grapple his way out of everything was absolutely astonishing, brilliant. I, I love that fight so much. Guys, you know, obviously the nature of the cage, um, you know, they have things that kind of impede your ability to see the fight sometimes, just with the the padding and the and the poles and all that stuff. Do do judges have access to monitors in every state? Not not every state, I don't think. I think yeah. the UFC, uh, John, you'd probably have, obviously be able to tell better than me, but I think the UFC have them everywhere. I, I think it's it's down to the promotion mostly, John. You'd probably yeah. be able to answer that. Yeah, yeah, they're much bigger than they used to be, I can tell you that. And yes, okay. the UFC does supply them, but that doesn't mean that they're on that monitor the whole time. And uh, right. there are a lot of judges that have complained about angles and turnbuckles and things in front of them when they can't see. You know? Yeah, so. I mean, if you're if you're behind one of those poles or not in the proper angle yeah. or whatever, or maybe they ha the fighters have your back to them or, or, or whatever, um, it, it, that back fist, you could miss it in a second and think that, oh, you know, Gamrot was going for a low-level single again and, and think that, you know, he tripped or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah, that's uh, unfortunate. Sean Sheehan with us here. Go ahead, Sean. The reason why they are cage side, though, a lot of people want them, you know, backstage or whatever. I think last night's actually a great example of why they are cage side, because that fight really, in totality, came down to impact. And to, 
we've all sat cage-side and watched fights, the two of you obviously way more than me, but you can feel that impact. You can sense it way more when you're cage-side. And last night just felt like one of those fights. Everyone at home, or a lot of people at home, scored at first, are you convinced based on impact? But maybe the impact, and, and judgment, you look, the judges' cards, all 15 rounds agreed upon, so they yeah. must have been seeing the same thing. It felt like the impact in the arena was very different from watching at home, and that's why they're there, and it right. is the best place to do it. That's reality right up, up close to them. Yeah, I, I have think- certainly come off of any perch I was on about judges in the back. We are certainly aligned on that now. Go ahead, Ken. Yeah, no, I, I'll, I'll say this. I, I think impact is a much better word. You know, sometimes we get caught up, you know, uh, like the commentary booth was just talking about the sound of a lot of these kicks. Well, you know, the reality is, is the sound of the kick doesn't mean it's impactful. Uh, you know, sometimes we get a little excited and we hear a loud slap. Well, I could slap you with my foot on the side of your leg, and that means nothing. It's just a, a hurtful slap. If I thud you with my shin across the quad, that's a whole different deal. So um, I, I think it's important that people make that distinction um, that uh, just because it's yeah. loud doesn't mean that it's uh, an impactful blow. Um, you know, looking at the reaction of a fighter, um, seeing them stumble backwards or take a misstep or look like they step in a pothole or, you know, backing right. them up after a good shot. That's something that I consider impactful when you see the look of the face or the look of the body um, that there's a direct impact of that strike. Uh, there, there's one phrase in the criteria that that I love, and it's to the uh, fighting spirit, they say, you know, if it if it diminishes your fighting spirit, and that's exactly yeah. what you're talking about there. If you yeah. punch someone and they fall back and they're up against the cage, well, you know that hurts them. If you punch someone and they stand there, you know, like the green zombie or someone, he, he doesn't move. Yeah, well, it's right. like, well, did that impact him? And it could be right. the exact same punch landing the green zombie and, you know, another fighter. And it could have a, a total different impact. And that's what it's scored on as well. It's not just the punch. It's who's taking the punch as well. Sean Sheehan with us here on the Anakin Florian podcast. Now, I did not I did not book you purposefully on the heels of our judging and refereeing seminar that took place here Friday in Las Vegas for many of our UFC commentators. But your thesis statement to me via direct message was exactly my thought five minutes in. We need 10, 12, 16 hours with these guys because every time some issue was brought up, we kind of needed an hour to sort of hash it out, and then we had no choice but to move along. So one thing that keeps coming up that I wanted to ask you about, it seems to me that I keep hearing verbally from you, from judges, that if you have to ask yourself whether or not it's a 10-8 round, then it's a 10-9. And to me, my thesis statement would be, if you have to ask yourself if it's a 10-8, meaning you're thinking borderline it might be, then it can't be a 10-9 because that's too close. And I guess my thesis statement walking out of there, Sean, is that I'm all in trying to join you in your efforts to educate the masses. But I do believe that we're all educating the masses on a scoring criteria that truthfully does not fit our sport. And that's my frustration. I'm happy to help educate, um, but we need more of an overhaul than we need education, in my opinion. I would totally disagree with that, honestly. I, th- I think it, it fits it very well. What you're talking about there specifically is the 10-8 part, and that has been changed, and it's a major problem. I need I think it needs to go back. It has not worked well whatsoever. And, you know, Dana came out after uh, the, the Israel Adesanya fight and uh, the uh, Felicia Spencer, uh, Manny Nunes fight, I think, right. as well it was, and he was giving out about there was too many 10-8s. And then the Nevada Commission changed, and now everywhere is kind of changing. All the judges are scoring them differently gone completely backwards. What we right. do now, okay, you say, you think afterwards, is it a 10-8, is it a 
it's a 10-9. Beforehand, we'd go to the 3Ds. You know, you talk about the, the criteria maybe not being fit for purpose, but the criteria was there to tell us exactly what a 10-8 was. And, you know, the you know obviously we know the 3Ds, we discussed it the last time as well. And it, every time there was a discussion on the commentary or, 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 you know, us at home sitting down watching it, you think of that. Did he have the, the damage? Did he have the duration? Did he have the dominance? Well, if he had all three of them, we know it's a 10-8. That's not the case now anymore. You can have all three of them, and if you don't have overwhelming damage, it's no longer a 10-8. That's bad. That is bad. We need certainty on it. That part of the criteria is absolutely uh, just... It's, it's just gone so backwards. I, I absolutely hate it. If we went back to that, I think it would change a lot of those things. Because... The biggest issue with the criteria right now is the difference between a 10-9 and a 10-8, as, right. as you talked about there. That solves that issue for a large part. It's never going to solve the issue completely. There'll always be close rounds. There'll always be borderline 10-9, 10-8. You have the, you know, if you have the two Ds, you can go either 10-9, 10-8. We'll always have that. There's, there's no way to solve judging. People need to stop that rubbish. We'll never, ever solve judging. We'll never have every judge agree if you punch me once, I punch you once. One person's going to say that was more impactful. The other person's going to say the right. other punch was more impactful. We need to forget that. There's, there's, no, there's, uh, there's no magic pill we can take to fix judging. We just need to get it as good as we possibly can. And we're at a level now where judging is very consistent. But the consistency over to 10 eights has gone in the wrong direction because we're consistently wrong now, I think. And wrong in terms of the overall look at the judging, not necessarily the understanding of the criteria. For me, you talk about the criteria of all, of all the time. And we, you know what? We need to take out two hours and discuss this because this is a, a topic we go on all the time. But my thoughts about it, and you know, Joe Rowan did that thing in his podcast a couple of weeks ago where he, you know, he basically solved the judging criteria by saying what the exact criteria was. Right. We all that. But the thing about that is, I, I, you, you can't blame someone for thinking that because we used to have an old criteria and it wasn't communicated well that it changed. And what they did when they changed that in 2016, came in on January 1st, 2017, was they got the 10-9 MUS system, which everyone hates and says it's the boxing system and all of that. But they retrofitted it for mixed martial arts and they brought in the effective grappling, the effective striking and all of that. And they, I think... Having watched fights through the eyes of the criteria for the last three years or so with a, a top class judge that I can talk to all, all the time and I text every day or every week about these fights and try to gain an understanding of it. I really feel that retrofitting of the 10-9 uh, must system or 10 point must system, sorry, has really worked well for mixed martial art. Now, the changing of the 10 eights has has uh, put it back. It really has put it back. But I still think normal 10-9 rounds, we can score them better than we've ever scored them before and score them in a more assured way. It, it doesn't always work, as I say. It's, some rounds are very close. Some rounds, you know, like the, the third round in, in the Saryukin versus Gamrat fight last night, it can go either way, but because, it, because it's close. You know, it's up to the fighter to separate himself from the other fighter, and it's up to the other fighter to separate himself from the other fighter. And sometimes... You know, you meet, meet a rock in a hard place and that's not going to happen. You can't blame the judge for that. The judge has to decide on that. But I, I think what we have in the criteria right now spells it out very well in, in very simple terms as well. I know we spoke the last time. I think the criteria could be longer. There's bits I would take out, but I think it could be more well explained. But I think what we have right now, it, you know, we can give out about it. We can, we can pick holes in it. But I think we have to accept it at some stage as well. We have to, and, and, to to look at to look at fights through the criteria over a long time will give us a good idea of how well the criteria works because you can look at one fight and say right someone made a mistake here like like I think last week but 
everyone makes mistakes. You know, people make mistakes in all sports all the time. That doesn't mean the system is bad. We look at, need to look at it over a long period of time, which I have, I have done and I've tried to do. And with, with an open mind, but unbiased, I have no, you know, affiliation to any team or anything like that. Right. And look at it in that way. And for me, having done that, I really think that we, we're very consistent, but more importantly, we're doing it the right way. We're, we're doing it overall how MMA should be scored. MMA shouldn't be scored on control. MMA shouldn't be scored on I'm winning the, the goings of the fight. You know, I'm dominating the position of the fight. That's all well and good. But MMA is an offensive sport. It should always be an offensive sport. And the amount of damage done, the amount of impact landed should be the main reason why fights are won. And for me, over the last few years, it has been. No one can persuade me in this space quite like you, and perhaps overhaul was the wrong verb, but I also glean from what you're saying that the 10-9 range has never been wider. And you say this 10-8 problem is a huge problem. I actually believe on the heels of our seminar that you are going to see some of these judges be more aggressive with the, with the 10-8s now, despite the directives, because if they don't, the system is flawed, but I agree with you that if 10 eights are more liberal, but then I keep hearing from everybody, oh, if you have to, if you have to question whether or not it's a 10 eight, it's a 10 nine, and thereby the 10 nine range gets even wider. And to me, that's insane. I think it's come back a little bit, to be honest. I think, you know, everyone's kind of cooled down a small bit and then it has come back a little bit. And I spoke to a, a few judges uh, over in America who've kind of been saying to me, look, I'm looking at the 10 I'm looking at the, sorry, the 3Ds again when scoring the 10 eights, and I'm, you know, I, I'm not going overwhelming impact. And if that comes back, it might take a while and hopefully it comes back in totality. That would make a really big difference. It really, really would. And yeah, that, that gap... That gap is definitely wide. It's definitely wide at the moment. But that's nothing got to do with the criteria in general. That, no, that's right. got to do with the 10-8 and the adjustment to the 10-8, which has been overwhelmingly bad, in my opinion. Right. No, I think that's fair. And we did have a judge acknowledge, Ken Flo, that for that second round in the rematch between Piotr Jan and Aljamain Sterling, <laughs> if he could go back, he would have scored at a 10-8. You know, so... There was a lot of good that came out of this. You know, I felt like for us, Sean and Kenny, it was more fruitful as far as some of the refereeing stuff uh, than the judging stuff. Because, again, I think we need days and days and days to rehash this. You know, it was interesting. Like, we got to score some rounds. And they gave us one round that they felt was pretty easy to score. And then one round that they tried to trick us. And a couple of the analysts, if you want to say got tricked, you know, were on the wrong side of that. Um, so it was very informative and educational, you know. But generally speaking... You know, I feel like analysts need to focus more on the mixed martial arts and less on the judging, but sometimes they are inexorably linked. I would imagine for you, Sean, it's hard sometimes on your podcast to talk about how great a fight Sauron and Gamrot was, and you keep inevitably coming back to this stuff. Yeah, I literally just recorded before I came on here, and I did that. I stopped in the middle of the podcast because we need we need to stop talking about judging, and we need <laughs> to talk about how, how great of a fight this was. And it was great. I, I don't know if you saw that. And Cage Warriors this uh, weekend, Reese McKee had an unbelievable win, and I was so glad it didn't go to a decision because it was there was lots of very close rounds, and you'd be talking about that, but instead we're talking about a great fight, and we're talking about a great win. And yeah, it, it, it definitely is. It's, it's a shame at times, but look, it's something that's going to be very, very hard to overcome, and Look, it's a thing we all have to look. I took a long time to, to to learn it as well. And I'm very lucky that I had a judge kind of reach out to me and I was able to speak to him and kind of become friends with him. And and he's there to, to help me all the time. If I would love, you know, I, I'm sure he would do the same for you, John. And I'm sure if Daniel Carmier or Dominic Cruz or Kenny or yourself, or whoever it might be, if they got a judge and they could speak to him and they did that and they did it week in, week out, it would help so much because there's a big problem as well, right? 
And it's very hard for me. It's very hard for me to say Daniel Cormier is wrong. What do I know compared to Daniel Cormier or Kenny or Dominic Cruz? But then you hear him say something on the broadcast and it is wrong. Right. You know, if right. as I said, if Tom Brady said a touchdown is worth 12 points, just because he's the greatest of all time doesn't mean it's right. You know, well, maybe with yeah. him it is. But yeah. Yeah. you know, that, yeah. and that is a big problem. And if, and it's not, it's not, you know, it's probably from, as you say, separating the martial arts from the judging, because sometimes they are different. There are certain things I'm sure that you will game plan to do that's not going to score for you, but might win you the fight in the long time, like forward pressure. For, like, say, Conor McGregor, right? If you're fighting him, you want to forward, put forward pressure on him. Well, McGregor might, you know, uh, counter you for the first two rounds, win those two rounds, but in the fourth round, he gets tired and you choke him out. You haven't won on the judges' cards, but you win the fight because that's good game planning. That's good martial arts. There is that disconnect there, but there should be that disconnect there because the reality is Conor McGregor has, uh, uh, you know, countered you for two rounds and hit you harder. So you right. should win that round. Right. So I, I feel like if we acknowledge that disconnect a little bit more, I know our re- wrestling is a big part of it as well, because obviously, you know, the top control, we, we saw what fight was it, the, the Talia Santos, uh, Valentina Shashenko fight. It said in the second round, it was three minutes, 30 seconds of top control. Now, that was in the first and second round, and it looked weird on the broadcast. I was thinking, wait, it has, there hasn't been that much, but look in that second round. Santos had a, lo- a long time of top control, but she didn't do anything with it. Like, and if you're just, and that's a big problem because if you're a wrestler, you're looking at that and go, oh, she's dominating the fight. But she's not because she's not landing those impactful shots. And that is a major disconnect as well, I think we have between fighters who yeah. are rightly told to win those positions and they should be that disconnect between the judges and what they score in that position but that disconnect can be overcome by the fighter landing a few more shots going for a few more submissions that's easy for me to say but that's the reality of it if you're playing a soccer match you can have 90 percent of the ball but if you don't put in the back of the net it doesn't score right right and and i think that's that's what made mixed martial arts so intriguing right is because I think as far as a hand-to-hand situation it's supposed to mimic a fight to the death the safest way, best way possible, right? So it's like, if I went, if I said, I hate to say this as a grappler, but it, it is true when you think about it. If I, you know, take you down and I'm just controlling you and you're fresh as a daisy and you're not impacted by what I was doing to you, then I'm not hurting you. I'm not winning the fight to the death. Like I, I need to be doing things that are damaging you, that's making you not move the same, that's making you not react the same, you know, if I'm hurting your arm by breaking it, okay, that's a different story. I'm forcing you to want to give up or I'm hitting you in the face to the point where you don't look the same. You're not moving the same. We are doing our best to try to mimic a fight to the death in the safest and best way possible. It's there's some very interesting fights of a very interesting. I I went back and I rewatched recently. Um, Chael Sonnen versus Anderson Silva, the first one, whereas, you know, you think back in that fight, what do you think? Chael just dominated the first four rounds, got submitted. I went back and watched that fight, and I had Anderson winning, or, or sorry, uh, yeah, Anderson winning a couple of those rounds wow. because he impacted Chael more, and it's a weird one because I think of that, that that used to be a fight I would show people to get them to 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 watch MMA, you know, when it was coming up in Ireland. But I went back and watched it. I was like, yeah, it's, it's a it's a very different fight back then. And I saw, you know, DC on his show, he was talking about uh, fighting against Gustafson, and he was, uh, you know, Laura Sanko was on with him, and he said, well, I control that fight against Gustafson, but he probably landed more impact than me. Why did I win that fight? And I went back and I looked at the date of that fight, and it was before 2017. If that fight had happened a year down the line, yeah. then Alexander Gustafson might have been the champion. Sure. So sure. it's 
we we need to realize that disconnect as well. Like Kenny, all your fights would have been with the old scoring criteria. I you know? think about. I literally was thinking about that. And far as like the Gray Maynard fight and some of those fights that yeah. went decision, I was like, "Wait a sec." Yeah. You know. Anyways, you get him you kept best, the get him I would have been. I only would have lost lost once to BJ. That's <laughs> right. Right. So Sean, when we book you in July, I think I'm just going to book you for the whole show because I always feel like we're shortchanging things. One thing I wanted to sort of get you out on. Um, in terms of like your UFC 276 fight day schedule, um, you know, I have a healthy respect for a lot of people in Europe and in other parts of the world that really have to compromise their sleep schedule and their work week to ingest 25 or 41 of these UFC live events. So for a pay-per-view of this magnitude, like what time do you wake up? What time do you watch the fights and, and do you sleep at all? Uh, yeah, I try to sleep as much as I, I try to stay up late on a Friday night, you know, put on a film or, you know, I'm watching Entourage back at the moment, but on that, try to stay up till three or four in the morning on a Friday night, try to sleep in as much as I can, but invariably then someone rings you at like 10 o'clock on a Saturday morning and you have to go out for breakfast, yeah, right. you have to go do something, and then you're, you're wrecked by the time uh, uh, Saturday night comes. But yeah, usually it's the prelims are midnight-ish, the early prelims, and then it's yeah. always 1 a.m., prelim you know second part of prelims 3 a.m main card for the pay-per-views and this weekend is a god almighty those fight night cards at a 3 a.m oh game. forget it so oh, are you kidding. cranking out content right after or are you going to sleep at 4 or 5 a.m no i i go to i go to sleep so the fight the 3 a.m main card i'm usually last night i i looked at my uh i looked at my clock and it was 7 17 when i put down my phone to go to sleep so for the pay-per-views i usually watch the the press conference you know to see what dan has to say afterwards and it's usually around 8 30 when I'm going to sleep that morning and then I do the podcast usually around 1230 or one. So I get my good three and a half hours, four hours sleep, maybe. But yeah. sometimes then you have a fight and you have an unbelievable main event and there's just no sleeping after Hard that. Sleep. Right. Know, there's just no sleeping after that. But uh, yeah, I usually get my three or four hours. I'm a zombie on a Sunday then, um, you know, and then I have all my content to, to do for Sherdog and for, uh, for Severe May starting on, on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. So, yeah, it's uh, it's tough, but I'm I'm so used to it now. I've I've been doing it for nearly over a decade as you know as a fan and as someone covering the sport, and I'm used to it. But it's it's tough. It's really yeah. tough, especially the weekend like this. You know, we had uh, Bellator and PFL on Friday. I was up yeah. until whatever time that was. Then Cage Warriors started at half seven for me here. Was finished at eleven. I had half an hour of a break until twelve o'clock when the UFC started, and then seven seventeen. So it was basically twelve hours straight watching MMA on. Wow. Uh, and Saturday night, but what a weekend! I wouldn't change it. I want well, not giving up. I love it, and we appreciate your time. And you don't, you don't actually look tired, man. No bags under your eyes. You look good. You look fresh. And um, monster, again, monster, I, you know, I you're monster, monster. <laughs> ah, well, you're you're a huge asset to the MMA space, and we appreciate you very much. The last thing I will say, just because Ray Longo's not answering his phone, and I have another minute in terms of my verbal acknowledgement of strikes on a broadcast, right, and statistics. I feel like it's not much different than the betting line, right? Like basically my thesis statement is the stats and the betting line doesn't really matter. It's just another lens through which to look at the fight. The judges monitors, it's a program feed. They don't have statistics. Now you might see me verbally pay off a graphic because my producers are trying to acknowledge the strike discrepancy from head to body to leg. And sometimes they want me to pay that off, but would you agree that generally speaking, like the stats, even though we appreciate all the work that goes into it and it's informational, um, that largely it's unofficial and doesn't really mean a whole lot? 
Yeah, stats in MMA are absolutely useless. Like, and this is someone who yeah. has a degree in maths and did a lot of statistics in my time. Just useless. Like, like you see in, in PFL, it's a great example because they're on the screen all of the time, you know. And it's it might be twenty strikes to twenty strikes, and then you know, Hin Fahir, whoever it might be, comes out and lands a big right hand, and puts him down. And then it's 21 strikes to 20 strikes, but there's a big difference between that one strike and the first 20 strikes that landed. Yeah. You know, I was watching the, the Miles Price, Jeremy Stevens fight, my countryman here. And you saw the betting line, the betting. I, I love that in PFL, the way the betting line changes as it goes. And by the end of the fight, Miles Price is like minus 400 or something. And Jeremy yeah. Stevens ended up winning the it fight. Was, yeah. You know, but so it, it yeah, things can change crazy. like that. <laughs> it's, it, and, it is a, and a lot of times they miss, they miss it. Like we, we were calling a fight and they, they, didn't count like two takedowns. I was like, there was two takedowns. They didn't even count. They weren't even yeah. up on the on the board. That's, Anyways, that's the point that really that yeah. really annoys me oh. about the statistics that come up on the on the uh, on the screen and stuff like that. Because okay, takedowns matter, and it's look, it's part of the fight. I'm sure if you're a coach and you're analyzing it and go, okay, you got three takedowns, you need to do a bit more of that just to even mix things up. If you're taking lots of strikes, get a takedown. You won't be taking any strikes in for a while. Sure. But when you're talking about like the fight itself, when you're talking about the scoring of the fight, like there was. Gamrock got a good few takedowns last night towards the second half of the fight. And, did, 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 you know, one of them was great because he landed stuff when he got on top. But a lot of them were just took him down, got straight back up. Like, what are you scoring that? Like, what difference? Like, it's, it acts like it's a big thing. But sure, if you throw a jab and it misses, that's not a very big thing, is it? It's the same thing as you take, yeah, getting a takedown and he gets straight back up. Uh, I, look, it says in the criteria that it's it's not just the changing of position, but right. it kind of is at times. Like, it, it can be a very good changing of position. If, you know, if you're Umar, Umar Nurmagomedov and you get a mount, that, well, that's a very good changing of position because of the amount of damage you can do in that mount. But if you don't do any damage in the mount or if you move into side control, like I always say with Habib, a lot of people would say that side control is a better position than half guard, right? right. But if you're Habib Nurmagomedov, then that's completely incorrect because he was so effective in that half guard and the amount of shots he could land with the control where the person on the bottom could not move. It was just for me anyway, maybe you disagree, but I thought that was a way more effective position. So for him to move and to advance his position and go to a better position, I actually think it diminishes him and makes makes his ability to land strikes even less. So it's it's all you know it's all about who the fighter is and what they actually do in that position. Because like look at Alexi Olenek, he wants you to mount him. Sure. So yeah. Is, is that an ad advantageous position if you know he's fighting Derek Lewis and Derek Lewis mounted? Well, maybe Derek Lewis is a pretty good mount, so maybe it is for him. But whoever yeah. it might be, it's not yeah. an advantageous position if you get Ezekiel shocked there and you lose. All right. It's what you do there, you know. So yeah. that, yeah. yeah, that's a that's a big that that's and the biggest key in mixed martial arts. I think it's what you do in the position, yes. not the position you have. Right, and you hit on a truth there. They don't score takedowns like wrestling. So oftentimes, when you hear frustration on the broadcast from me or Daniel, it's because they haven't actually. It's a pointless stat as well, though. Like right. the judges aren't seeing those stats. Nobody cares no. about those exactly. stats. Like the stat is how many strikes they land or the the uh, you know the submissions they get after the takedown. It's takedown right. stats right. are just pointless if they give it if they don't give it makes less than zero difference to how the fight is scored all right well i would encourage you to check out the severe mma podcast you can get more from sean sheehan on suredog.com at severe mma and his personal handle at sean sheehan ba my man can't thank you enough we will talk in july and it's going to be the sean sheehan hour so buckle up you're getting the whole fucking hour <laughs> we need two we need two hours thanks lads i appreciate it thank you my man thanks, there man. he is the great sean sheehan with us here on the anakin florian podcast and uh yeah, I mean, there was a lot to unpack from our judges and referees seminar. And uh, obviously, I have frustrations with certain things. There's Ray Longo joining oh, us for man. his 50 Ray Longo minute. What's up, my man? Hey, you know, that guy, 
the guy at least was common sense a little bit. That's why I said, can't we just hear from the judges? I want to hear the judges talk like that guy, you know, with the positioning thing. At least whether we agree with it or not, can we hear it? Right. How'd you no, do it? I, yes, uh, well, I like the Bruce. I like the, I like the Bruce Lee shirt. Very nice. They are very much discouraged from uh, from grabbing a microphone. You know. Uh, Why? Why did you ask that question while you were at the? We seminar? talked a little bit about it, and you know, I sort of offered up. I said, "Hey, I'll interview a judge on the Anakin Florian podcast. Yeah, I'll send it in to the UFC's executive vice president of regulatory affairs, the great Mark Ratner, or I'll send it in if they want to vet the content. You know, um, but to me, I actually think it would help the judges a little bit if they could acknowledge a bad scorecard. You know, Keith Peterson, right?" He stopped that Dominic Cruz-Henry Cejudo fight. In my opinion, retrospectively, I think it was an early stoppage. Now, at this seminar, I talked to Herb Dean about it after Dominic had left. And Herb Dean said, you know, you have an early stoppage, you have a late stoppage, and then you have this range where it's acceptable. He felt like the Peterson stoppage was in that acceptable range. But Keith Peterson, whom I love and whom I defended for the whole cigarettes and beer thing, he has effectively changed his style since that fight. He has learned from that fight. I can point to eight or ten examples where Keith Peterson now has a longer leash, you know? And it certainly would be nice for Dominic Cruz if Keith would say, hey, you know what, if I could go back, I would still have stopped that fight then and there, or maybe because it was a championship setting and Cruz had posted, maybe I would have given him a little bit of a longer leash. But to your point, it's very hard for these athletes when the referees and judges never have to acknowledge yeah. or be accountable for their decisions. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing with Keith Peterson is that you would have to go back before that fight and see how he was doing it, too. Because you're true. saying he changed because of that, but yes. he might have just had a bad night because if you go before that fight, I don't think he was stopping fights early. Fair point, fair point. I just feel like he has demonstrably been giving guys a little bit, you know, an extra beat here or there, because I think in some way, shape or form as a human being, that's in the back of his head. I could be wrong. You know, um, heard you had a big weekend, huh? Oh, man. Jiu-Jitsu James killed it. I tell you, you know what the the big weekend was? I was on my way up and my tire blew out. Oh, no. (laughs) So I had to be there by seven. I guess they're doing they still I don't know the COVID thing. I don't even know if anybody knows what it is anymore, but I had to be up there by seven for it. So obviously I couldn't make the fight. So that sucked. Oh, Kenny, you got those uh, run flats. You have that on your car. Anybody I, have I those? do on one of my cars. I do. Yeah. I would, I'm never, I, I, I'm on my 10th tire in the in Long Island. The roads, I mean, the su- they suck. I hit yeah. a, I mean, I'm, I had to come home like 30 miles on zero pressure. It's just uh, horrible. You can't go above like awesome 30. Man. Now it really is. The lid, I, I don't know. John, Those are you bored clouds. with this? That's no, why I got out all. of the snow. The snow yeah. ruined the streets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm not dealing yeah. with snow anymore. No, no, right? yeah. Kenny, I swear to God. I, I guess they're great if you have a flat road. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Can't do it anymore. That's I'm crazy. done. No, wow. I mean, the streets in my native Massachusetts, it's a fucking it's joke, man. It's oh, it's, it's got to like, oh, it's it's be bad. Yeah. I, but, but Long Island is... Yeah, just give us a flat road, please, for the money, for the <laughs> taxes. No, Ray, I like this. Yeah, Ray, yeah, I exactly. have, You don't, yeah. you guys don't pay enough taxes. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah. but I like this conversation, <laughs> right? Like, I wanted to talk about your Father's Day dinner. I have enough mixed martial arts. <laughs> like, I like to talk about flat tires. I sent you, know? you a picture of it. Yeah, I know. How would it look? How would it look? Amazing. 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 The place so, is great. Uh, 
you know, I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on last night's main event, but I did want to focus the 10 or so minutes that we have today on uh, on UFC 276. And I do appreciate you waking up early for me. I have some voiceover obligations here in Vegas in about 45 minutes. Um, but did you see that main event last night with Armand Sarugian and Mataj Gamrod? And if so, what were your thoughts? Man, high level, about as evenly matched as you could have two guys matched up. Uh I would have given it to the other guy, but just super close fight. I thought it, well, most of the damage done on the feet was by him. I mean, he had a, a knockdown with the spin back fist, but I think four and five were easy. I think you give that to uh, Gamma. And yep. uh, look, it's one of those fights, though. It is nothing. I mean, it, it, that was a high level fight, man. That was evenly oh, matched, but he landed huge kicks. Uh, I thought just the damage was to the. Almond. Right. Right. I don't know. But not a, I don't know how you are. Both guys. I wouldn't take anything away from one either guy. The other guy looked like he was in a state of shock. Yeah. But uh, they just, man, those scrambles, Kenny, were phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, so I, cool. I do. That's what I'm saying. If you're like, I'm, you know, I'm not even, I'm not into the wrestling. I mean, obviously I have to be into it, but I could watch that shit all day long. I mean, awesome. nobody given awesome. a, okay. nobody given an eighth of an inch. I mean, it was crazy. Crazy. It reminded me of when he fought uh, Maklachev, Islam, uh, yeah. that time. No, I said, this kid is uh, – he, he's good. Maybe a little undersized, but and he's – uh, hell, too, by the oh, way. Man. Those kicks are fast. Oh, man. They were powerful, too. Powerful. Yeah. But catching the kicks up on one leg, still not going down, being run across the octagon. Oh. Thinking the guy's down, he's re- – crazy. It, it was, was just awesome. a – Beautiful awesome. fight. Really yeah. a beautiful fight to watch. Yeah. So, I mean, I hope everybody just enjoy. I don't even – that's a fight I wouldn't even want to score. Right. You know? So, I'm watching the prelims with Dominic Cruz, who is out here in Las Vegas. We were out here for the seminar. Neither of us were working the show last night. So, we're at a restaurant watching the prelims on his phone. And he pulls up the feed, and it's in Spanish, right? So, I'm thinking, is he watching in Spanish because, like, Marlon Chito Vera, his opponent, is the Spanish <laughs> I know Dom understands some Spanish, maybe not as much as Kenny Florian per se. Um, but I'm sort of wondering why he's watching the broadcast in Spanish, right? So then we go to his house, right? And he puts the fights on. And I'm thinking, all right, this is going to be in English now. And it's still in Spanish, you know? Right, and then right. I'm like, well, at least with Michael Bisping's interviewing somebody after the fight, I can actually understand that because it's in English. But uh, just absolutely <laughs> hilarious. Now, but I'm he's, saying he's, he did that to bust your balls, obviously. Yeah, I guess so. Or to, you know, I had no choice but to tweet about it, you know. Dom uh, doesn't listen to commentary. He doesn't listen to it. It was funny at first. Oh, oh, so and then it was like, was... all right, man, you know, I think <laughs> the English part of the broadcast, yeah. you know. Um, but uh, all right. I would like to ask you a little bit about UFC 276. And I wanted to start with Max Holloway and Alexander Volkanovsky because their second fight was exceedingly close. Since that fight, Max Holloway put forth what I think is the Maybe the singular greatest performance I've ever seen against Calvin Cater. And then he beat Yair Rodriguez. On the other side, Alexander Volkanovsky looks like he's 10 times the fighter than he was in that second fight with Max Holloway. So as we sit here early in fight week, Volkanovsky is minus 180. Max Holloway is plus 155. What do you have on that fight, Raymond? I'm exactly what Kenny has. I'm shaking my head. Uh, What do you do? Yeah, I I, I have no way. I mean, all I'm going to do is make shit up at this point. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, look, 
I, I'm going to say this. Holloway needs to have a Cater-type performance to win that fight, right? I don't think they're going to give it. I think a close fight is going to go to Volkanovski again, unfortunately, even if he's slightly ahead. I think he needs to really have a dominant performance, and it's going to be really tough against Volkanovski. But, uh, whew, you know, I mean, yeah. he looks like he came up with a couple of different things with how – how he's sparring, how he's preparing. So maybe he'll carry through to this fight. We'll see. But, uh, I, and, and with that being said, I, you know, you kind of like Holloway, I think, cause you kind of like him, but the other, I don't, I don't know. I really don't know. It is well, one mine, of the mine, minus one eighty of the sport. It's, yeah. Minus one eighty is kind of, yeah. What's, uh, what's, uh, Holloway plus what? Plus one fifty five. I mean, largely yeah. for me, it just screams lay off and find another fight to bet on. I think I yeah. agree with you on that. I just I lead with that because I really feel like historically we're going to go back and look at this series, and this might not be their last meeting, but this is one of the biggest fights in the history of the sport that's happening, and it's a co-headliner, yeah. which is just and insane. It's a little bit of like the uh, the little guys, uh, Figueredo and right. uh, you know, right. they, yeah. they're just really. Uh, so imagine if uh, if. Uh, if Gamet was the champion and he has to keep fighting this guy, dude, those fights are close, right. man. Right. I mean, yeah. I see. I don't know if one guy has it in him to be dominant. Like after watching that, like it just, it was just a great fight yeah. that was very evenly matched up. I mean, right. like at, evenly matched up at a high level, like not too, you know, like Gotti Ward was a good fight, but it's not high level boxing, right? It was right. good boxing, right? Really right. good, but these guys were that it was off the hook, I thought, to me. And it's a yeah. little bit of a tricky thing from a matchmaking perspective at Featherweight because we do have a show on ABC in a few weeks. Yair Rodriguez and Brian Ortega will be in the main event. You know, the cupboard is not bare at all, right? I mean, Josh Emmett obviously has emerged. You have Arnold Allen, Calvin Cater to whatever degree. If Max Holloway wins on points and puts an end to Alexander Volkanovsky's 21-fight winning streak, I mean, you don't think yeah. there are grounds for a fourth meeting between these two guys? So I think if you're Yair Rodriguez, who is long overdue in my mind, you just need something clean here. Ideally, you're getting a finish you know, from Volkanovsky or something that will just give you the finality you need so that the division can move forward. I'm not sure we get it. I think this fight and the result might set the stage for a fourth meeting. So. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I can say is like if I'm Holloway, I know I have to put like an exclamation right. point. So I think he's got the motivation to real. He's got to up something, right? He yeah. he has to he has to stand out in this fight, and he's definitely got the ability to do it. I think maybe in those fights, you know, he's just so comfortable, and maybe he, th he thinks he's winning, but now right. he's really got to go. Now he knows that that isn't going to get him the win. And he's got the volume to really push a, a crazy fight. So I'm actually leaning towards Holloway. It just it's hard to it's hard to do it with uh you know, like the guy I'd, I'd rather stay away from the fight, but right. um and Volkanowski's such a steady Eddie that how do you you know get past that? I don't know. But you're right though. It's uh, but but Holloway's gotta he's gotta be totally he's just gotta be head and shoulders above what people are looking so. at. Like, yeah. I, I I think so. Or he's not going to get it, you know? Well, I appreciate you answering the uh, the wake-up call early today. Mm. Cody says sometimes you sleep into the PM on the weekends, but you look great. You look fresh. The PM? Oh, yeah, he says you sleep sometimes <laughs> until afternoon. Is that true? 
I get my PMS early in the morning. If I do. <laughs> what the heck are you oh, doing? Man. Yeah. Wait, what well, about uh, what about the ahead. co-main? What about the co-main event, Kenny? You know, I like the problem. I like Job's those. Got- I like those Russian hats like Khabib wears and Marab wears. They have different. This guy had a full fledged raccoon on his head. Yeah. You know? <laughs> you just said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kenny, the thing had a tail. I really thought it was like the honeymoons. We were going to get the it old was, raccoon, the raccoon salute. Woo, he probably woo, killed, he woo, probably woo, killed woo. with his bare hands. Yeah, hey, right. like, he did. He did. I thought he was fighting Davy Crockett for a minute. I'm not joking. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. the kid, that kid, look, that kid's, that kid's a problem too. No, he's a real yeah. problem. I you think got- he's the, uh, <laughs> 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 Holy oh, and, and on this farm, we had a raccoon. E-I-E-I-O. <laughs> Jesus, Mary and Joseph. I love it. Well, uh, wait, hold on, wait, hold on, wait, wait, before, because we, 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 uh, got past the other thing. Jiu-Jitsu James. I made it about my fucking tire, right. which it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> what a, what a, what a great fight for that guy. That guy was ranked number nine. I'm sure he was brought in to lose. The other guy was 6-0. and But, man, James, what a great fight. So happy for this kid. He does a lot for the gym, and he's just uh, – he hasn't had the easiest upbringing. And just to see him, I hope they do the right thing by him because he deserves it. He's, he's, he's really just a, a nice kid, and um, he's got a couple of mouths to feed. So I hope, uh, hope they do the right James. thing by him. Yeah, really. Kenny, you'd love – MMA jiu-jitsu is good. I don't know awesome. if you saw the. Oh no, you were you actually were at the, you were commentating, which was crazy too. I was flipping back and forth. Uh, you right. had some good fights too, Chris yeah, Wade. Shout had, out, shout out to yeah. Chris Wade too. He, Long he, Island he guy, yeah. great man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he's he's, he's on he's on fire. That guy. Better Ever better, since man. leaving the UFC, he's yeah. he was always tough, but yeah. I think he's so relaxed now. You're just seeing, yeah the total expression of what Chris Wade wants to do. And he's, he's always had it for sure. Yeah. I've seen him in the gym, but he is on fire. That kid congrats really to him. Yeah. yeah. He's one of the few New Yorkers. I actually root pretty hard for, you know, I felt like <laughs> really uh, from a matchmaking standpoint in the UFC, I felt like, you know, they certainly didn't do him any favors and maybe there were some close fights that could have gone his way. So I've always sort of had a soft spot for Chris Wade, but you know, he's fighting a fucking Bostonian Kyle Bokniak. Was he not? Was he <laughs> yeah, not? He was. Uh, all right, Raymond. Well, uh, we're going to let you go. We got Brian Petrie waiting in the wings. Oh, uh, Brian Petrie's in the wings. And when that uh, brother has COVID sick as a fucking dog. So probably not coming out for UFC 276. Oh, no. so, uh, he does yeah. have COVID. Yeah. yeah. First he time. Got, got him good. Yeah. Got him good. You know, he's got the vaccination. Yeah. He's got all that stuff. He's you know? got all, all the booster. His daughter got pretty sick, too, with it. So, uh, yeah. Man, that is crazy, man. Florida's I, getting slammed right now. Uh, are they, for whatever it's worth, you know. My, I, I my tell daughter's you, camp is rampant. I mean, more than, I think, two dozen cases or something. Like that. That's crazy, man. Long Island, I don't know. Definitely nobody's in the hospital for sure. Yeah. Like, I always check in with that, but yeah. uh, it's crazy, man. That's, uh, but I feel yeah. bad about that. I'm glad right. I, uh, I'm glad I sent them what I ate. So maybe that made them feel that better. Him feel yeah. yeah. That's, that's it. good. Yeah. Wait, no, hey, that was what? interesting last week when we did the show on Father's you Day. Know, and how, I just started to softly bring you in and you just, all you wanted to do was talk about fighting. It's like, oh, how, about this? <laughs> how about this? In a couple of weeks, when you come out, carve out a half hour, I'll take you there on me. There oh. is no doubt I am prioritizing. Let me tell you something. We, on, we go to whatever restaurant you want. I'll go wherever you want, you know. Right. I you just want don't time. want to go to Mark Henry's joint because I don't want to talk about the Buffalo Bills, but anywhere else. You, 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 want, you want Thai mango and shrimp? 
I kind of do. Oh, man. <laughs> we uh, do a little fancy dinner, you and me. A huh? mixture of those flavors. Oof. My treat. My treat. Okay. No, no, my treat. <laughs> no, you know what we'll use? We'll use that. That's on me. We'll use the, uh, ask him if we can use the Anakin Florian LLC card. Hey, there you go. There you go. <laughs> uh, All right. Hey. Ray, yes. Yeah. Ray, have oh, a great I, day, better evening. All right. Call me this way. I'm dying to catch up on that I seminar. I know. I owe you a phone um, call. We got to talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah we had that judges and refereeing seminar. I oh, I'd love to hear all Fucking about scintillate. it. <laughs> oh, I'd love to hear all about that, what was accomplished. Just tell me it was it was a it had a it was a yes fest, wasn't it? It was uh who could pump it their chest out more at times. It got contentious and combative actually at oh, times. So but uh contentious. You, was there. you should have taken a fucking flamethrower to that place. What do you mean yeah. contentious? Yeah. All right. No, I'm dying. Give me a buzz. All right, guys. Know. We'll talk. I'll call you Monday. <laughs> have a great Sunday, guys. Take yeah, it right. easy. Goodbye. Great Ray Longo with us for the Ray Longo minute here uh, on the, he's the best. <laughs> Yeah, it was uh, it was largely fruitful, uh, I would say overall. And just to give you one quick thing before we get to to Brian Petrie here. So, in terms of like fouls, one thing that I was able to extract is, you know, sometimes when they're warning for fouls, you know, the word that Jason Herzog used was guidance. You know, so sometimes when a commentator sees a fence grab, I'm like, oh my god, he did it again, and you know, it might not have a huge impact necessarily on the fight. So you might see Herzog more of in a guiding way than an imperative way. Like, Hey man, I'm going to take a point, you know? So there were little things that I think will help me overall with my commentary, you know, leaning away from stats a little bit. You know, we also learned a little bit about how they score fights and, you know, I was sort of thinking, you know, you have one human being assigned to the blue corner and one person assigned to the red corner. I think it must be nice to just have to see, you know, focus on one athlete, see the, how much they land or don't and just count those strikes, you know? Because it really right. is hard calling simultaneous strikes in real time on both guys. Of course. And, and, you know, listen, it, it's this Americanized ESPN-inspired thing, right, where, you know, the, the media believes it's like, we need to give them stats so they can understand the oh, sport. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, you know, for basketball, maybe that's the case. Maybe that helps. And, and football even or whatever, how many yards they ran or whatever, that uh, makes sense. But for MMA, it's eh, – it, Yep. Yeah, largely not very effective. And the UFC has invested a lot of money in it, and rightfully so, I think, in a lot of respects. I think a lot of what they're doing and some of the um, advanced stuff that they're working on that is going to be revealed in the future, I think, could be really beneficial. But generally speaking, if you are a mixed martial arts fan listening to this show and scoring fights on your own, don't get caught up in the stats because largely they don't matter. All right. <laughs> UFC 276 beckons. Let us get to the main event challenge. It's the main event challenge. And it. The time is most definitely now. I finished fights. I'm going to do everything possible to win. The main event challenge. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. Boys. Hello. What's up? There he is. There he is. How Big you doing? Gun. Brian Petrie on social yes. media is at Brian Petrie MMA. What's up, my man? Good Sunday to you. Hey, good Sunday. Action Man won last night. That's what I'm talking about. Adolfo Vieira was robbed. Okay. <laughs> and it was a clear, a clear win for Gamrod. I mean, it was no controversy whatsoever. That was just clear. As no, I, I'm, you, I'm very happy. You Chris won that won. one, Petrie. Yeah, I won that one. I keep, keep my hair. 
Uh, a lot of people very excited to see Kenny do a shoey. Uh, I was very surprised the overwhelming amount of people going, yeah, Ken Flo. You know, I know he was, you know, he was radio silent on Twitter, but uh, yeah, I mean, we're good. I, I lost my, uh, my, my, my parlay on had a banner night. Uh, I had Armin win, and obviously green color glasses or not, I had him win in that yeah. fight. It was a very close fight. Right. I mean, I can't complain right. too much, but I did right. have him win. So, uh, yeah, we're here, babe. With a lot of these close fights and main events, it's just uh, I feel for people sometimes ripping up tickets, but uh, I don't know. Yeah. Find a baseball game. That or was a big win for fights, Florian, you know? though. Like, candidly, <laughs> I can was. say it now. I can, can say it now retrospectively. Yeah. Like, I thought there was tremendous value on the Taos. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I, you know. That was my pick. And then, but I did convince myself to go Armin, but then I wanted to go opposite yeah. Kenny. But I mean, I still bet him, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. But yeah, good, yeah. good pick there by Kenny. And uh, Cody will try to get us the updated standings potentially over the course of the next twenty minutes or so. But if not, Cody, it's no huge deal. Um, time permitting, I guess we're going to have like nine predictions today, so I do want to get into them uh, as expeditiously as I could. And uh, it appears as though the Misha Tate Lauren Murphy fight that was to be on the pay per view is no more. Misha was minus one sixty five. Lauren Murphy was plus one forty. Uh, it appears as though Murphy was forced to pull out of that fight. Remains to be seen as to whether or not they get a flyweight replacement for Misha Tate. But we will begin with a prelim at welterweight. Ian Gary, minus 155, gifted Gabe Green, plus 135. The future Ian Gary looking to stay undefeated. Green has definitely turned the corner, especially after that PRK vision procedure. Love the matchmaking here. Brian Petrie, you going Ian Gary or gifted Gabe Green? The, he needs to change his name to the Daisy because Conor McGregor nicknamed him, called him a Daisy. He got a Daisy tattoo. Ian Gary, that is. I like that. Listen, yeah, I like it too. I think we have cool. another future on this card in Macy Barber, do we not? Yeah, I mean that's that's generic. Let's go the Daisy here. But Ian Gary's the type of guy where you love him or you hate him. Confident kid, unproven, whatever. I'm on the side that loves him here. I love this price. I thought we were going to get a little bit higher here. Gabe Green has looked good. He's fought guys in the UFC with similar body types and Phil Rowe and everything. But Ian Gary, I think, is different. Faster, more powerful, polished. And, um, you know, uh, Gabe Green, is two is, uh, uh, out of his losses, two of them come first-round knockouts. So I think Ian Gary is going to jump on him early. He's a very patient fighter, but I think if he can clip him early, get him out of there early, that's what I like. I like Ian Gary by KO, and I'm playing it, baby. Let's go. Good cap, BP. Kev Flo, what do you think? Ian Gary, favorite here, minus 155 against Gabe Green. Not a whole lot to say. Uh, BP pretty much uh, broke it down. Great. Uh, Ian Gary as well. All right, huge fight at lightweight. Jalen Turner is cannonball coming, pursuing a ranking here. He's the minus-120 favorite against Brad Riddell, who comes back to even money underdog. So Riddell trying to rally from what was his first UFC loss to his good friend, Rafael Fazib. Turner on the other side is one four in a row, all by finish. And this is one of several pick-em-type fights at UFC 276. Bri, I know you love these type of fights. Which way you going, Jalen Turner, the slight favorite, or Brad Riddell, the dog? Man, I want to take the dog shot so bad here. But the problem is, is I promised myself I won't fade Jalen Turner. Out of his six UFC fights, I faded him four times. Oh, wow. I'm losing money on this guy, and he's looked fucking great. And I just, it's time to get on the Jalen Turner side. Now, I will say this, though. Brad Riddell has been in camp with Volkanovski and Izzy. We saw Carlos Oberg last night. These guys are looking sharp. I think Riddell coming off a loss over Rafael Vaziz, which I'm sure he's a little embarrassed by because they were training partners, and I think Riddell trained him. There was some history there. So he's going to come in the best that he's ever had before. But, you know, I just think he's a little undersized compared to Jalen Turner. Jalen Turner's enormous. I think Jalen Turner's got the advantage on the ground if it ever gets there. But I'm going Turner by decision. I think he can outpoint him with his distance and everything. So give me Jalen Turner. 
Ken Flo, Jalen Turner, Brad Riddell, very close on the number. Which way are you going? Uh, this is going to be a great fight either way. I, listen, I, I think Riddell definitely has the ability to win this fight uh, just based on his forward pressure, his offensive abilities, his speed, his power, all that good stuff. But for me, I haven't seen him change to the point where I'm like, he hits and doesn't get hit. He, you know, he, he stays right in front of you. And that's why he does take a lot of damage, even in the fights that he wins. It's always like, woo, like, <laughs> man, he got hit with some shots. Uh, Jalen Turner it has a reach advantage uh, and a speed and a timing and a confidence right now um, that I think just makes him too dangerous. I, I can't bet against the kids. Same, same way. I, I haven't always been on the Jalen Turner train. Uh, I am now. I think he's yeah. someone to watch. I think he has a ton of potential uh, and really is coming into his own. This is a bad time to be fighting Jalen Turner. Uh, I, I like I like Jalen Turner here. Yeah, man, some tough matchmaking for Brad Riddell, right? Fazeev yeah. and Jalen Turner back-to-back. All right, next up at welterweight, the former undisputed UFC champion Robbie Lawler, slightly favored here, minus 125 against the farmer Brian Bam Bam Barbarina. Barbarina plus 105. Kempfel, we'll start with you on this one. Barbarina asked for this fight after the win over Matt Brown, got a new contract, got the fight. On the other side, you have Robbie Lawler after finishing Nick Diaz up at middleweight back down to the friendly confines at 171 pounds. You go in Lawler the favorite or Barbarina the dog? I mean, Sean Shelby, if he made this fight, this guy knows what he's doing. Good job, <laughs> Shelby. Uh, I, the Robbie Lawler and Brian Barbarina, I, I, these guys are just made to fight each other, I feel I like. I don't think I've ever seen Barbarina in, in a bad fight. Uh, Robbie Lawler, 90% of his fights, and there have been so many at a high level, have been exciting. Um, so I, this is going to be this is going to be bananas while it lasts. Um, if it goes the distance, it'll be a classic. But I, I think Robbie Lawler's high-level high, uh, fight experience is the difference here. Um, Barbarina, of course, does get hit. Robbie Lawler has been a little bit more conservative in his approach. Still exciting, still aggressive, um, but more defensively sound than we've seen him. Um, and he's going to have to be that against Barbarena here. Um, and I think his wrestling is good enough against Barbarena where he could stop some takedowns and stuff like that. That's where we see Robbie really get slowed down is when he's on his back, fighting to get back to his feet. Um, but I, I think this is going to be a wild fight. Um, I like this one, Robbie Lawler, the legend for the win, but, uh, Barbarina should have every single fan out there. The dude is, is, uh, oh yeah. Brian, Robbie Lawler appears to be in a really good place at this stage of his career. Certainly, uh, makes a lot of money just to show, right. But he's enjoying being at Sanford MMA, being in Florida, being a teammate. He's enjoying giving back to the sport. I just think mentally, physically, he's still in a very good place, despite the fact that he's got to be coming up on 40. Your thoughts here on Lawler against Brian Barbarina? I mean, how stacked is this card that we're putting Bob Dude. Lawler in the prelims? I mean, that I is nuts. I love <laughs> the call out by Brian Barbarina and that he got the fight. You know, I thought he lost the fight to Matt Brown. My Ohio crowd booed Brian Barbarina, which, I, you know, he seems like a good guy. Didn't deserve the boos. It was a close fight, but the problem with Barbarina is he gets in these sloppy fights and he always slows down towards the end. He did that in the Matt Brown fight, you know, and, and he wills himself victory. He's so tough. Robbie Lawler, I don't think a lot of people are giving him enough respect over the Nick Diaz. The Nick Diaz fight, the theme was Nick's back. Oh, Nick's not fighting 85. Nick doesn't look in great shape. But Robbie went out there and rolled with the punches. Oh, we're doing 85 now? Okay, no big deal. We're going to do, you know. And Nick threw, what, like 2,000 fucking punches at him? And Robbie stood in there and took him out, you know. And uh, 
Robbie, I think, is now 40, uh, according to typology. So, But yeah. I see him being in phenomenal shape. Um, and I see him coming out here, and I, you know he's a little bit of a slow starter at times. I think the first round is going to be a nice little feeling out. That's Brian Barberina's most dangerous round. But Bob Lawler by violence here. Give me a I finish, Bob Lawler. I'm going to play it. Uh, I like this fight. All right, let us get to pay-per-view. We have four selections and then some quick picks on the way out. I mean, Andre Muniz and fucking Uriah Hall, Jim Miller, Donald Cerrone. So many big fights at 276. But we will now get to Sean O'Malley, the Sugar Show, modest 260, taking on Pedro Munoz. The Bantamweight staple comes back at plus 220. Uh, We'll lead with you, Brian, on this. I kind of feel like it's a bad time to be fighting Pedro Munoz, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know if he's fighting for his job. But there's a lot of pressure on both sides of this fight. But but for Pedro Munoz, back-to-back losses to Jose Aldo and Dominic Cruz, he needs this one in the worst way. I'm not sure if he gets it. Your thoughts on the young punisher here against the streaking sugar Sean O'Malley? Yeah, so I make no secrets about it. If you listen to my podcast, I'm a biased guy. I mean, listen, I'll never pick against Chris even if he goes against, you know, the a fucking Godzilla, right? I'm biased. Right. I'm a sugar guy. I like sugar yeah. Sean O'Malley. But I am so torn because the value boy in me is saying – Pedro Munoz at two to one is fucking gorgeous. He has fought the who's who. He looked good. He looked good in the Dom fight. He clipped Dom early on, and then kind of the fight got away from him. You know, and the problem with Pedro is sometimes he fights with, you know, just I, I, why well, I train with the, the Brazilian boxing team, so I'm just going to box. But he's lights out on the ground. He's really good on the ground. And that's the thing with Sugar Shows. We don't know. Like, he did the Invitational. He beat Gomi. That was cool. But we just don't really know about his ground game. So as a Sugar fan, I got to answer these questions. Like, am I afraid of the leg kicks? Yeah, I'm afraid of the calf kicks because we don't know. Am I afraid of going on the ground? Yes, I'm afraid of going. I'm answering all these questions because I'm a Sugar guy because ultimately – I think he's going to be a huge star. I think he's supremely talented on the feet. I mean, his what he did to Hylian Pava last fight after we saw what Pava did last night. That I mean, that was a, that was you know a decapitation. That was great. But Sugar is good for MMA because he could be a big star in MMA, and that's what I root for. I root for the sport of MMA. I root for the guys like Conor McGregor, these huge stars, and I think that's what Sugar Sean O'Malley can be. And you're right, this is a tough time to fight Munoz because I think he's an elite guy and he just he's fought the who's who. His resume is better, but again. I'm a biasy guy. Um, yeah. I don't think I can play this straight up money line at Sugar Sean at minus 260. I think it's a little beefy. So I'm going to go extra and go extra value and go Sugar by KO because no one's ever KO to pay Joe. And uh, Sugar can do it. I mean, if he, if he lands the right shot. So give me Sugar by KO. Yeah, I'm on the Sugar Sean O'Malley train as well in terms of his ceiling and his future. For Pedro Munoz, Ken Flo, former two-time no-gi jiu-jitsu world champion, over 800 jiu-jitsu matches, not necessarily a proficient takedown artist in MMA per se, but how do you handicap this fight and how do you think Pedro Munoz might approach it stylistically? Uh, Munoz is tough. Um, He's clearly going to have to pressure forward, um, you know, try, try to slow O'Malley down because O'Malley's footwork is just light years ahead of Munoz's. And, and, and to be honest, uh, I don't like this matchup for Munoz. Um, I do like this matchup a lot for O'Malley. And I say, I probably say this every single fight, uh, almost every single fight, but the people that are picking the fights for Sean O'Malley, kudos to you guys. You guys know what the hell you're doing. And, And Munoz is a dangerous fighter. Okay. He, he can win this fight. But if you are a guy with little to no footwork and you come in here flat-footed and you plod forward against someone like Sean O'Malley, I'm sorry, but you're going to get beat up and you're going to get beat up bad. You're not going to be able to get on the inside. O'Malley's jab is going to be firing. He's going to be smashing you with kicks. 
Um, and it, it's his footwork's too good. He's too good at getting in and out. And then he's got a reach advantage that is significant here. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't I don't like this fight for Munoz. I think it's a tough fight for him. I, I have a lot of respect for him based on what he's done, both in jiu-jitsu and mixed martial arts. He's as tough as they come. Um, but uh O'Malley here is 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 gonna win. And and he very Holy much and, and I agree with I agree with uh with Petrie here. I, I think it could be by knockout. Hey, what were we as say, a Sugar Roger? Sean Malley fan, I want to run through a brick wall after hearing that. Let's go, Kenny. Let's <laughs> yeah. go. Now, all by the way, all going on sugar. betting odds provided by DraftKings Sportsbook, the official yes. sports betting partner of the Anakin Florian podcast. And if you did have $100 on all of Kenny's selections last week, you would have been in the black plus $52.43 on Brian Petrie. $100 last week, uh, you would have been in the hole. Minus $98. Cody has figured out a pretty good system for the scoring, uh, but pretty close last week. All right. Featured bout at middleweight. Alex Pereira minus 115. Sean Strickland minus 105. So Strickland, the slight underdog here, despite the fact that he's going for a seven straight win. On the other side, you have Pereira, decorated former kickboxer, trainers with Glover Teixeira there in Danbury, Connecticut, but just 2-0 in the UFC to date. And uh, being thrown to the Wolves, Bri, he's a wolf himself. Your thoughts on Pareda yeah. here as the slight favorite against Sean Strickland? You know, you've, you've been getting the, too much too soon. We've been getting that a lot lately. Is too much too soon? Izzy had a great answer for that. Um, you know, he, he referenced Jiri Prohaska getting a title shot after two fights. I mean, this guy is a high level guy. Pereira's a freak. Like he really is. I'm amazed every time I watch this guy strike. I mean, the Bruno Silva fight. A lot of people are like very close fight, but Bruno Silva's a dangerous guy, and Pereira probably had one of his worst performances in MMA, and he still dropped him like a handful of times and looked good. Um, and he's probably the best kickboxer, I mean, to ever come over to MMA. I mean, credentially, I mean, th- there's other guys, but he's 5-1, and one, he's successful. And I'm kind of looking past Strickland here, which is probably a bad thing because I really want to see the Pereira-Izzy matchup. I think that the hype's going to be, you know, Izzy's already talking about it. I think it's going to be a real deal. Strickland, though, he's literally insane. Like, you know, my buddy Chris Curtis and him are good friends. I hear these stories about about Sean Strickland. I follow him on social media. He is a one-of-a-kind dude, and you think, oh, okay, he's going to have the MMA advantage. But he flies out to Florida and trains with K1 kickboxers. Like, this guy's not wrestling. He's not bringing in wrestlers. Like, this guy's wanting to put his pace on him, pressure him forward, put his hands in his face, and he I think he wants to make a statement. That's what he wants to do. I think it's a bad bad idea. Sean's been knocked out before. He's been dropped before, um, and Pereira is just different, man. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take Pereira by KO here. Kempfel, what do you think? Pereira, Strickland. Yeah, I'm going to keep it short. Uh, I, I definitely wouldn't sleep on Strickland. I think he's got a, a decent shot more than people think. However, I agree with BP here. Uh, Strickland's probably going to get emotional, try to prove a point. You don't do that against someone like Pereira. Uh, I, I like I like Pereira here as well. All right, co-headliner for the UFC featherweight title. We mentioned the odds earlier. It is the third meeting between Alexander Volkanovsky and Max Holloway. Volk minus 180, Holloway plus 155. For the undisputed UFC featherweight championship, Brian Petrie, Volkanovsky, Holloway, Act Three. Your thoughts? Talk about an impossible fight to pick. I mean, literally, what I've looked at when I capped this fight is what they've done since, and they both have been on fucking fire. Volkanovsky's looked amazing, been active, going keep keep me fighting. I'll fight whoever, and I'm going to go out there. I'm going to finish him. So we did against Korean Zombie. He said, I know a lot of people say, you know, I'm going to finish the fight. I'm going to go out there and finish him. He did. He looked phenomenal. Looked great in the Brian Ortega fight. But Max Holloway's butchering people. You know, he butchered Calvin Cater. He butchered Yair. He has competitive fight, but he showed Yair there's levels to this. So it's like, what are you going to do? I have the, I, in my scorebook, even though it doesn't fucking matter, 
I have a one one. Obviously, I think a lot of people can make an argument about this and that, but you know, uh, Volkanovski has the green stripes on his record, so it doesn't matter. Um, confidence is is high in Volkanovski. Confidence is high in Max Holloway. I mean, what do you do? This is such a tough fight to to, to handicap uh, to pick straight up. This is definitely a prop play. Cody set in the chat over four and a half. I know it's a little chalky, but that's a good parlay piece if you want to parlay other things together. Because I don't think these guys are, are you know going to uh, knock each other out or finish each other. It's going to be another decision. It's going to be another close decision. But listen. When you give me plus money, I got. I mean, I'm 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 a fucking plus money shark. I'm gonna yeah. go Max Holloway at the plus money. I mean, no yeah. disrespect to Volkanovski, it's just like you're giving me plus one fifty five, and uh, you know this is one A one B at one forty five. I'm I'm gonna take it. So uh, yeah, give me Holloway, but I wouldn't be surprised by anything in this fight. I'm 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 super fucking excited. Yeah, can flow market improvements on both sides. I guess to my eyes, maybe Volkanovski has progressed a little bit more since that second meeting, but I really have no idea how this fight's going to go. Just thankful to be in the building. How do you see it playing out? Yeah, listen, I, I love the breakdown that, that Brian had. I agree with a, a lot of those points. And John, I agree that Volkanovski probably has improved skill-wise. But I think that Holloway's the kind of guy, based on his experience and his MMA IQ that he knows how to adapt to opponents, right? It's not that he's getting so much better, but he's so smart and knows how to make the proper adjustments in a fight. And I think in a fight that's this that's this close, um, and when you look at the history of these guys, I think you do have to go with the underdog here as well. Um, that said, as good as Holloway looked um, in his last fight against Rodriguez, his last fight was against yep. Yair, right? Yeah. Um, I, I think we're going to need a, a higher level than even that because there were certain points where Yair, based on his speed and maybe Max trying to adjust during that fight, where I felt that, um, you know, that Max Holloway might not be good enough to beat this Alexander Volkanovsky. Uh, we're going to need the dude. We're going to need uh, the Holloway that beat Cater. We're going to need the Holloway that beat Ortega. Like, we, we need th that mm -hmm. kind of Holloway. He's going to be – he has to be at his best. Um, and I think he can pull it off. I have immense respect for Volkanovsky. I do think he's improving, no question about it, John. I, I think um, he's a phenomenal grappler. I, I think as far as MMA IQ and uh, decision-making and adjustments during fights, there's few that are better than Volkanovsky. Uh, but I think Holloway's range, his intelligence, uh, the fact that they've met together so much and the overall experience um, as far as minutes in the octagon for Holloway, I, I think is significant enough that he wins this fight. I think it's going to be close, but I like Max here. Very interesting from Br Brian Petrie and Kenny Florian on the co-headliner. That brings us to the main event. Israel Adesanya now minus 365 against the killer gorilla Jared Cannonier, who is plus 300. I know Izzy gets sensitive when I talk about the number of title defenses because he alleges that his Whitaker win, the first one, should be a title defense. So I guess that's neither here nor there. Uh, but certainly, Bri, I would argue Adesanya is prohibitively favored here. Perhaps some still mm -hmm. see the value of minus 365. Uh, what are your thoughts on the middleweight championship main event and who gets their hand raised? Uh, you know, I'm an Izzy guy and I, and I love the new blood. Uh, I love that he's coming off two rematches and it looked like, you know, in the Vittori fight, he, in the Whitaker fight, even, even though Whitaker's high level and some people actually had Whitaker winning that fight, but, um, it, it just seemed like he was a little, like I've been in, I've, I've done this before. He's been bringing up Cannoneer for a while, calling him the dark horse of the division when Cannoneer was kind of coming up. He ran into Robert Whitaker and it kind of slowed down. But Cannoneer is, is an interesting guy. He's a brick wall. You know what I mean? He's a big dude. He changed his complete life. 
from moving from Alaska to Arizona. His body completely changed. I mean, this guy is a stud. But again, I'm an Izzy guy. I you know I, I went to Atlanta, saw him fight in Atlanta against Kevin Gaston when he won the interim belt. And and, and again, this is back to the sugar thing. This kid's a star. You know, he's marketable. He's good for the sport, and uh, and he's amazing. I like what he's saying in this camp. He's saying he's going to come out there, he's going to make this look like Anderson Silva versus Forrest Griffin. And I think that's a good analogy because um, Jen Karanier is slow, right? He's powerful, and his hands and his, ki- his kicks are, are, are a little bit faster than his hands, but his hands are very slow. He's very plodding. I think Izzy wants to pick him apart on the outside. I think Izzy wants to come for a finish. I know it's not easy. He's never been knocked out at, at 185, but he did get knocked out by Dominic Reyes at 205. He did get knocked out of heavyweight by Sean Jordan. So there is room there, and I believe Robert Riddicker bounced him around a little bit in their fight. It's not going to be easy, but I see Izzy kind of wanting to make a statement here. I don't want him to go into safe mode. I want him to go Paula Costa mode and go after this guy because I think he can, he can do it with his speed and power. So I'm going to go Izzy by KO. Kempfla, what do you think? Got a Sonia Cannonier under the lights here Saturday night. Yeah, I've been so impressed with the changes that Jared Cannonier has made um, in his life, in his technique, in his approach. Um, he's a very impressive dude, very intelligent guy. Um, but I, I do think that it's similar to, you know, the O'Malley Munoz fight where Cannoneer is so tough, um, but footwork is going to be an issue um, and, and range is going to be an issue. If you don't have good footwork or you don't have, I should say, if you don't have, he has good footwork. If you don't have great footwork and you are down on reach, it's going to be very difficult. You got to clip Adesanya hard, and you need Adesanya to make major mistakes during that fight. Is it possible? Absolutely. Is it probable? I don't think so. And, and so I, I think Izzy takes this one, um, his reach, his tools, his weapons, his speed, his footwork primarily for me is going to be the difference here. Um, uh, the, the champ going to stay the champ. All right, let us get some quick picks here on the way out. At middleweight, Brad Tavares, minus 115. Drakus Duplessis, minus 105. Brian Petrie, will you have a pick on that fight? I, I will. I like Duplessis in that fight. Canflow, Tavares, Duplessis. Let's go Duplessis as well. All right, Andre Muniz, minus 245 against Uriah Hall, plus 205. Who do you guys like there? Canflow, Muniz, the Brazilian jiu-jitsu player, or the striker Uriah Hall? Muniz, he's hot right now. BP? Yeah. Yeah, Muniz as well. He's special on the ground. Kids, kids, kids a beast. All right, and then as yet, no betting line on DraftKings Sportsbook on Jim Miller and Donald Cerrone, Brian. Uh, will you uh, Will you have a strong lean on this fight? I've been thinking about, you know, it's a rematch, obviously. Um, uh, let's just go. Uh, cowboy. Give me Cowboy. Can't flow. Yeah, I, I can't go the other way. I'm going to go Cerrone as well. Oh! Yeah. <laughs> I thought yeah, he was going Jim Miller. That's why I think I'm yeah. like. All right, Brian Petrie elevating the entire podcast every week. You can get more from him at Brian Petrie MMA. That includes the MMA Takes podcast as well. My man. Let's go. I, 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 I listened to your podcast. You said you don't have any hair at all on your body. I'm very envious. I don't. As someone who gets I have no, I have no, I have, I have a little, you see this? I have no yeah. armpit hair. I have no leg hair. I got hair on my head. <laughs> oh, what I would it. do. What I would do. Yeah, it's crazy. I would never have to shave my head. Uh, all right, yeah. we will uh, We will talk to you next week, my man. Appreciate it very much. All right, boys. See you, homie. There he is, Brian Petrie, with us for the main event challenge. All right, Cody Merrow, I wouldn't mind seeing your face for a minute, but I really got to go. Uh, Literally nice a minute. Red Sox hat. How about the Boston Red Sox? Fucking 10 games over 500 right now after the way they started the season. The fighting Alex Cora's. Um, 
But I got to go to a studio in about two minutes. So what do you have for us, Cody? Well, so I'm spinning everything forward. Big week ahead for the Anakin Florian podcast, YouTube channel, and all of the members involved here. Unfortunately, no Kenny. Julia Budd dropped out, but Kayla Harrison's still fighting on Friday. I made the call. I tried to be like, hey, like, not that big of a fight. Like, can we get Kenny to go to Vegas? Can we just, like, fill the spot? Don Davis wasn't having it. So I like the new haircut, though, Don. It looks great. UFC 276 International Fight Week, uh, tentative UFC basketball run Wednesday night, going to be filmed by uh, Anatomy of a Fighter's Will Harris, Bilal Muhammad, Jamal Hill, Walt Harris. Uh, Michael Chiesa said that he'll watch. Yeah. Um, that's probably a little better for his basketball acumen there. Especially if there's going to be video, he should definitely watch. Right, right, right. Maybe free throw contest, but I don't know. We're, we're, we're going to have real refs instead of the ones that you had for your contest, John. Yeah, there you uh, go. UFC 276 presser at 2 o'clock on Thursday. Awards ceremony 730. Hosted by? Mm. I wasn't going to drop it. I didn't know if that was you Let's know, go. privileged information. Yeah. Uh, John's going to be looking good Work in point. his Mark Russell suit. Uh, Friday, UFC Expo. Uh, I'm going to be there with the MMA Underground with John Morgan, a.k.a. Sports Illustrated MMA. We'll be there for like eight hours interviewing people, you know, shaking hands, kissing babies. So you can catch me over there on that feed, making a fool of myself probably. But before I hit the blackjack table in the bookies, you know, there you go. And then the hat is on purpose. Uh, Red Sox, hottest team in baseball, six game win streak, one ten of our last 12. And yesterday the Yankees got no hit by the Astros. So they you guys suck. We're coming for you. There you go. <laughs> Cody Merrow with the Merrow seconds on the way out. And yes, Cody will be here uh, in Vegas repping the Anakin Florian podcast. Hopefully, if you are in Vegas, you will join us at the T-Mobile Arena for the UFC Hall of Fame induction ceremony on Thursday night. That is one of the more special things I do all year. Yes, sir. One last thing you can catch. We got Fight Pass exclusive content coming up this week on Fight Pass. We're going to watch one of Kenny's fights and live commentate it. It's going to be great. Can't Shane. wait to do it. You'll Just waiting Pass. on the footage. But yes, Ken Flo and I are going to look back at one of his earlier fights. Uh, and that should be some pretty cool content exclusively on UFC Fight Pass. Also coming up on Friday, I'll be hosting the UFC 278 press conference with Leon Edwards and Kamar Usman. So uh, this is going to be the big, biggest, busiest week of my professional life. I'm, I'm excited to get it started. Um, don't forget, remember the show with Bilal Muhammad and Jason Anna coming up on Thursday. AnnaFlorianPodcast.com for your merchandise needs. FAM15 is the promo code to get 15% off. KennyFlorianMartialArts.com is live as well. Don't forget to check out our one-on-one with Dominic Cruz that's on the Anakin Florian Podcast YouTube channel. And you can go to uh, Millions.co if you want the city-themed limited edition Las Vegas One More Sleep t-shirts. I will tell you. There are a lot of knockoffs out there. We got people making one more sleeve t-shirts with my name on it that we're not selling. The only place to get them, millions.co. All right. Thank you to our sponsors, UFC Fight Pass and DraftKings Sportsbook. Thanks to our guests, Ray Longo, Sean Sheehan, and Brian Peach, and of course, our executive producer, Cody Merrow. Ken Flo, have a great vacation, man. I appreciate you getting up early, and uh, I guess we'll talk to you next Sunday, my man. Thank you, brother. Safe travels, man. Kill it. I'll be watching. All right. That is it for episode 354. We will talk to you all Saturday night for UFC 276 live on pay-per-view. Prelims on ABC. That's exciting as well. Thanks to everybody for listening, watching, subscribing. We will talk to you next Sunday night. To recap it all until then, yo later.
I'm Royal Oaks. Next time on Too Many Lawyers, we take on a couple of villains to sort out whether bad stuff is also illegal stuff. George Santos won a seat in Congress by lying to voters, but is that a crime? And Kanye West made it clear he hates Jews. In England, he'd go to jail for that. Here in America, did he commit a hate crime? Listen to Too Many Lawyers on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.